0: Well, we come now to our introduction to systematic theology lessons. We've been looking at the doctrine of the law of God. And now we are today going to be looking at briefly the third commandment. And this commandment is, of course, Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, on the surface, this commandment seems very simple, straightforward. For many, this commandment just simply forbids us to use the name of God in a careless, flippant, or irreverent way. And this commandment certainly speaks to that issue. But is that all there is to this commandment? You might be a little surprised at the answer that our catechisms give to that question. First, let's hear what the larger catechism says. The third commandment requires, this is question 112, or answer 112. The third commandment requires that the name of God, his titles, attributes, ordinances, the word, sacraments, prayer, oaths, vows, lots, his works, and whatsoever else there is whereby he makes himself known, be holy and reverently used in thought, meditation, word in writing by a holy profession and answerable conversation to the glory of God and the good of ourselves and others. And then the sins forbidden in the third commandment are the not using of God's name as is required and the abuse of it in an ignorant, vain, irreverent, profane, superstitious or wicked mentioning or otherwise using his titles, attributes, ordinances or works by blasphemy, perjury, all sinful cursings, oaths, vows, and lots, violating of our oaths and vows, if lawful, and fulfilling them, if of things unlawful, murmuring and quarreling at, curious prying into and misapplying of God's decrees and providences, misinterpreting, misapplying, or in any way perverting the word or any part of it, to profane jest, curious or unprofitable questions, vain janglings, or the maintaining of false doctrines, abusing it, the creatures, or anything contained under the name of God, to charms or sinful lust and practices, the maligning, scorning, reviling, or any wise opposing of God's truth, grace, and ways, making profession of religion in hypocrisy or for sinister ends, being ashamed of it or ashamed to it by unconformable, unwise, unfruitful, and offensive walking or backsliding from it. The shorter catechism takes all that, then sums it up this way. The third commandment requireth the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. And then the third commandment forbideth all profaning or abusing of anything whereby God maketh himself known. Now, as I've shared before, when I first started reading the Westminster Standards years ago, and this was back when I was still a hyper-preterous heretic. I'll never forget when I read these questions and answers on the Ten Commandments specifically. I was just baffled at how men could take, you know, a simple statement like the Third Commandment and then come up with all this stuff. Of course, I did not know at the time that the Ten Commandments are a summary of God's moral law. It's it's not a comprehensive uh, expression of it. That thought had never even occurred to me. The other problem I had was I thought my understanding of the Bible as a whole was better than it actually was. Well, thankfully, the Lord did his work on me and exposed all that in my life, and my thinking. But ever since then, I've come around, uh, ever since I've come around to understanding some of these things better. One of the things that I love to do when I read these questions and answers regarding the Ten Commandments is to challenge myself, especially when I'm driving the truck. That's my best time for thinking. To see if I can take this commandment like the third commandment and come up with an answer that is as full as what the divines came up with. Can I recreate their answer? Can I figure out how they got from point A to point B? And that's the challenge I want to pose to you today. How were they able to get all of what seems on the surface just to be a very simple, straightforward prohibition of using the name of God carelessly for example, people running around saying, you know, God damn this and goddamn that. Just careless tossing of his name. How do they get from what that seems to be all these rules regarding how we are to view and to treat God's attributes, his titles, his ordinances, the words, sacraments, prayer, oaths, vows, lots, his works, so forth and so on. Well, let's just start by looking at the wording of the third commandment. I think we can pinpoint the word or the phrase that, in a sense, opens that door for for us. We see, for example, the words, the Lord, your God. Well, we know who that's referring to. Just go back to the preface in the first and second commandments, right? So we seem to understand that. What about the words in vain? Well, that seems fairly simple. Vain means empty, emptiness, nothing, worthless. It's also translated uh, from the Hebrew there in the Old Testament as evil or falsehood. And then you have the words, will not hold him guiltless. Again, that seems very simple. God will not or God will punish those who violate this command. So where is the word or phrase that kind of opens the door for us? Well, I think it's in the words, take the name. What does it mean to take the name? Well, let's first consider this word take. The Hebrew word that is translated as take here, broadly speaking, means to lift up, to carry, to raise. It can also mean to exalt. It's also translated as bear, not not the four-footed furry animal, but to, to bear something, to carry something. In fact, at one point, this word is even translated as armor bearer or shield bearer is someone who carries a shield or another piece of equipment for a king or a warrior. All right, so that gives us a little idea. But what about this word name? Well, this Hebrew word translated as name means just that. It means a name. But it can also be referring to someone's fame or reputation. And this is where your Bible knowledge is going to come into play. Because one of the things you'll notice if you spend any time in Scripture is the significance that is placed on names. Names in Scripture, whether it be of people or places, are very well thought out and are important. We are often told when a child or a place is named, why they were named that. For example, in Genesis 25, we read of Jacob and Esau, it says, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. And afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And then we read down in verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. And Therefore, his name was called Edom similar to Adam. Edom comes from a root word that means red. Jacob comes from a root word that means heel. So you see, these names are not just some random arbitrary labels given to people. These names actually tell you something about the person. In Genesis 1, God names the first man, Adam. Why Adam? Well, it's likely that the name is derived from the Hebrew word for ground which is from which God formed Adam. Then God forms the woman. And Adam names her what? Eve, which means living. Genesis 3.20, then God, or, or the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. You see, the name tells us something about the person. And Beloved, it's no different with God. In fact, we read of a very significant event in scripture where the name of God comes into focus. In Exodus 3, verse 13, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Notice God names himself here to Moses as the sovereign, as the self-existent one. In fact, the covenant name Yahweh is probably connected to the Hebrew verb to be. God is that he is. That is his name. We read of another uh, very telling event in Exodus 33 regarding the name of God. In verse 18 Moses made this request. Moses said, "Please show me your glory." And how did God respond to that request? Verse 19, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then if we scroll down to chapter 34 of Exodus, where this takes place, we read these words in verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, for forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, isn't that interesting? Moses requests, God, let me, please let me see your glory. And God reveals his glory, how? To Moses, by proclaiming his name. And in proclaiming his name, what did God say? Did he just utter out some arbitrary random label? No, he revealed his nature to Moses, his character. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast fast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who, who will by no means clear The guilty. You see, the name that God proclaimed actually tells us something about who God is, his nature, his character, his sovereignty, and how he works. The name isn't just a mere arbitrary label, the only purpose for which is to distinguish him from others. Rather, the name actually expresses the very nature and character of God. In fact, if you keep reading in Exodus 34, you go down to verse 11, it says, we see this again, observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram, for you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. So do you see that? God is named jealous because he is a jealous God, meaning here that he's zealous for his honor and glory. Consider just a few more examples of this, of this connection that scripture makes between a name and the reality that it speaks of. In Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. God's name is holy because God is, in reality, transcends time and space and is lifted above, up above all. In Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called wonderful, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Again, notice the Son is named for what he is. And then in Matthew one twenty one, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ is a savior. So his name is Yeshua, one who saves. And then lastly, Revelation 19, verse 11 says, And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judge, judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress, of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful and true. He is the word of God. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. And so he is called faithful and true and is named the word of God, king of kings and Lord of lords. And so I hope you're beginning to see the connection here. There is more to the name than just an arbitrary single label to tag someone with. The name of God expresses who he actually is. It expresses his nature, his character, and his work. And it is all of that that the third commandment tells us not to take in vain. Do not lift, do not carry, do not bear his name, his character, his nature, his works, his sovereignty, his mercy, his judgment, all of it. Do not carry it or bear it or employ it as being worthless and empty. Now can you see why the divines came up with what they did? Again, the third commandment requires the holy and reverend use of God's names, but not just his names, what? Titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. And what is forbidden is all profaning or abusing of anything, Whereby God maketh himself known. How has God made himself known? Generally speaking, in his word. But specifically speaking from that word, how do we come to know God? Through his titles, his attributes, his ordinances, his works, through the sacraments, through prayer, through oaths, through vows through lots, through his works, through his decrees and providences, through doctrine, and, quote, whatsoever else there is whereby he makes himself known. It is the reality of all who God is as he has revealed himself in his word. And so the question you need to ask yourself today is this. Do you believe, do you receive, do you take all of these things seriously? The studying of his word, of doctrine, the use of the sacraments, prayer, oaths, your vows. Do you take these things deadly serious or do you not? And the answer will be revealed not only by what you profess coming out of your mouth, but by your obedience, your actions or lack of. Do not take all of this in vain. For the Lord will not let you go unpunished for treating all of these things as empty and worthless. So beloved, even now as our pastor is about to come to us and preach on this series of church discipline, God's gonna reveal himself in these uh, doctrines and practices so long as what is taught is in accordance with his word. He's going to reveal to us his character and his works, his dealings with man. Will you give God the attention he deserves today? Will you take even this doctrine of church discipline seriously? Or will you simply brush it off and decide to do things your own way because you've taken his name in vain? Well, but it's more than just flippantly throwing his name out. You're not going to hear that today in this building. So you may think, "God, there's no relevance for the third commandment today. It's very relevant. Even now, as you sit and hear the word of God preached, how serious will you take these things? Or will you simply treat them as worthless, empty, nothing, means nothing to me?